What's up you guys, today is a very exciting day. This is the first episode of my new podcast called Cave Talks. It's Cave Talks. Uh, <laughs> but yes, I, wanna, I just want to thank you guys for tuning in. And uh, here's a little intro. So this is something I've wanted to do for quite some time as a producer and a creator. I've spent eight years producing records, but never quite opened up about the process of recording or building a studio from pretty much nothing. So I thought the top of this year would be the perfect time to start a new series of conversation about it. Cave Talks will be a podcast uncovering stories about artists we've collaborated with and even just interesting people we've met along the way. Uh, it could be, you know, musicians, singers, songwriters, uh, even family members or, or just friends. We dive into their roots, their background, and share how we created some of their records. We'll also cover a bunch of other topics as well, but the main objective is to give insight on our creative process and tell the story of the people behind the art. One of my best friends and keyboardist, Alan Ladan, will be joining me along the way to orchestrate some of these new conversations. But I'll be introducing him later in the episode. First, I'd like to just give an intro of me and my beginnings. Uh, where I come from, and a synopsis on how I got here, talking to you guys right now. So sit back wherever you guys are listening to this, and I hope you guys enjoy this first episode of Cave Talks. So I grew up in a place called National City or Paradise Hills. Paradise Hills is basically a little, a little section of uh, right next to National City. But I've kind of been back and forth between National City and Paradise Hills. But it's a, a, a small area of San Diego. Um, tons of minorities, uh, mainly Hispanics, African Americans, Filipinos. Uh, I was born in 1987, um, and I am old. Just kidding. <laughs> um, I grew up in a not-so-musical family, but kind of musical. My mom was a RN, registered nurse, like a lot of Filipino moms, you know. And um, I didn't really know my real dad, my birth father, that well, but I knew he was gifted in music in some sort of way, from what I've heard. I, uh, I grew up listening to um, a good amount of music, uh, an eclectic collection. I, I did grow up on a lot of R&B, just naturally. My sister would always put me on a, a lot of stuff. I, I feel like I was always influenced by my older sister. And that's kind of why I got into like, yeah, groups like Boys to Men, or all for one, but um, I listened to tons of Michael Jackson, but I mean, who didn't listen to tons of Michael Jackson growing up? My stepdad influenced me a lot. Yeah, he got me into uh, singer-songwriters like James Taylor and Eric Clapton. He listened to a lot of classic rock, um, stuff like like Rush and, and Steely Dan. And so, yeah, Sunday mornings were always Waking up to, you know, my mom, my mom cooking or hearing the vacuum super loud and, and uh, like fire and rain playing, you know, at 9 a.m. So those are those are some fond memories of um, just music growing up. Uh, so surprisingly, uh, the very first instrument that I learned how to play legitimately was the clarinet. <laughs> As dorky as that sounds, uh, in seventh grade you had to, you know, you had to pick an elective, and so I saw a band, band on the list, and I was like, ooh, I do like music. <laughs> so I picked band as my elective, and you know, that first day, you know, they tell you you have to pick a, pick an instrument, and I have no idea why I picked the clarinet. Maybe, it, maybe it's because uh, I wasn't a jazz, I guess. I don't know, maybe. Uh, <laughs> Um, but it was kind of just my gut to, to pick up the clarinet in seventh grade. And I was this super dorky kid. 
Um, I went to this junior high called Bell, and um, I, uh, I I moved from National City to Paradise Hills at the time, so I didn't really have any friends um, from my elementary school that went to Bell, so I was super brand new, um, and I was just trying to make friends, and I thought band would be a, a, a good start for me to find some people and make some new friends. <laughs> uh, anyways... Um, yeah, clarinet was my first instrument, and then after after a year of playing clarinet, I was I was pretty much over it, and I was like, uh, I want I want a cooler instrument, you know, something just with a little more swagger, and and I think uh, I yeah I I, uh, I transferred over to the alto sax because I just thought it was a little cooler, you know what I'm saying? Brass, brass is tight. Yeah, so then I learned saxophone. I was actually way better at playing saxophone. Just maybe just because I was more inspired to play that instrument. Um, but then, um, yeah, I have to tell you the story of uh, me buying my first saxophone because that leads me into the story of me buying my first bass guitar. Uh, so, he, so I go into the music store. Uh, it's called Whitaker's Music uh, in Chula Vista on Third Ave. I remember it clear as a day. But me and my stepdad go in there, and I'm in eighth grade. I think eighth grade. Yeah, because seventh grade I played clarinet, and then eighth grade I played sax. But um, we go in there, and you know, just going in there to get a saxophone. Uh, one of those, one of those uh, cheap guys. Because, I mean, you know, I was not the richest kid. But we go in there and we pick up my sax. And uh, my dad, uh, he sees a bass. And he's like, you know what, son? I used, to, I used to play bass way back in the day. I used to be a rocker. And I was like, oh, what? Word? Okay, that's kind of cool. And um, he's like, you know what? I think I'm going to go. I'm going to go ahead and pick up pick up this bass and um i just thought it was the coolest thing it's like oh crap i've never i've I, at this point in my life i had never actually seen a bass <laughs> um but he uh he went ahead and he brought it home it was one of those those squire uh <laughs> one of those squire starter packs that came with like everything it had like the it had the bass and then it had like a little squire 15 watt amp and it came with like a cable and and all of that and he brought it home and i was like dude fuck the sax <laughs> um and i uh yeah i actually was just drawn to how how cool it was and at this at this time i was like really into um <laughs> i was really into uh wwf and wrestling <laughs> um so uh, I opened up his bass. Uh, I picked up the bass. I opened up the package and um, pull it out. And I'm just like, whoa, this thing is fucking huge. It was like this big guitar. And I was like, at the time, like, I was like, uh, I, I didn't even hit puberty at this point. I was like such a late bloomer. Um, but I picked it up. <laughs> I picked it up, and this thing was like literally taller than me. And I picked it up, and man, I love the rock. Like the rock's theme was like so, so rad to me. So I was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna learn how to, cause, cause the rock's theme was, um, was like a, like a bass guitar riff. It was like, so I was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna learn how to play this riff, if, even if like no one teaches me how to do it. And. Uh, yeah, I just started messing around with the frets and I actually figured it out like on the on the higher strings of the bass cuz I had no idea like the bass uh, dude honestly I was so clueless. Um, I didn't even know like the bass guitar was like all yeah, I was like why are there four strings on this thing? Um, but anyways, I learned how to play the rocks theme. <laughs> the rocks theme on the on the higher strings of the bass. And um, my dad was like, "Oh my gosh, Son, that's that's really cool, <laughs> cause he hadn't even picked up the bass yet, um, and I just picked it up. I was like, it's, I'm gonna play it. This is my thing. And um, eventually, uh, I kind of just picked it up naturally. And um, I remember my dad gave me a, a guitar pick, and I was like, Oh, people play bass with guitar picks. 
And he's like, yeah, son. And he, he, he tried to teach me how to use it. And I was like, I don't know how to do this. Um, but this was also the time of like Napster and um, the, uh, the come up of just downloading platforms um, when that whole, that whole thing was, was cracking. And my sister would download a bunch of stuff on Napster. And this was like, dude, this is when we um, just got cable internet for the first time. Because uh, we were on 56, remember 56K? That, that was super slow. America Online, chill. Um, but yeah, so we, we had just gotten cable, uh, cable internet, and Napster was cracking. And my sister would download a bunch of um, songs, uh, like punk songs pop punk songs <laughs> she was into that thing she was into into no doubt and mxpx and the ataris and bands like phoenix tx um, um at that time and i was like oh this is so cool this music is so cool because all i had listened to before that was slow jams and like i said before boys to men and nsync and stuff like that um so uh, I, I started listening to tons of tons of that music, um, and the first legit song I learned on bass was "Chick Magnet" by the band MXPX. And after I learned that song, I was like, "Okay, we up in here? Like, oh, I think I think this is legit, and I should tell my friends." So the dudes, um, I met some dudes in my school band. So I told you I played saxophone. So um, there was a drummer in the school band, and his name was Andrew. There was a trumpet player in my class named Jeremy. And um, we eventually started our first band. Well, they were starting a group together. And I was like, well, I have a bass, and I've got a nap and everything, and can I come over and jam? And I was so nervous. I was so nervous. Um, I went over to Andrew's house and we had our first jam and, and we, uh, he, he told me some songs to learn. It was, I, it was, I think it was a few MXBX songs and like maybe like an Atari song like San Dimas High School Football Rules or something like that and uh, we jammed and he's like oh I think, I think, uh, I think you're good enough to, to start a band with and we started a band called Small Medium Large we were called SML um, because I was super tiny, I was short. I was like maybe five, like five foot two. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I was just really tiny. And um, Jeremy was medium, because he was regular sized. And then Andrew was like this super buff, super buff Filipino dude <laughs> who played the drums and he was large. So we made a group called SML and uh, yeah, we eventually played a few shows. Uh, my first ever show, the first show I ever played playing bass was um, a Halloween party. It was my girlfriend at the time. <laughs> her name was Stacy Moore, and we played her Halloween party. And um, it was just in her backyard. It was like maybe five people there, but uh, it was, it was, and I was singing too. I was actually the lead singer, and I was like, yeah, this tiny kid. Bass was bigger than me, and um, yeah, we played the show. We did. I, I think we did like Red Hot Chili Peppers. We did Californication. We did. We did Chick Magnet. Uh, um, yeah, some other some other songs. But that was my first show, and eventually that became. Um, a th yeah, that was a thing for a year, and I joined another band called Public Notice. And oh yeah, I was just kind of in bands throughout uh, junior high, and then eventually we all broke up and went into high school. And this is uh, basically where I, I joined a band called No Way Out. And um, so No Way Out was uh, me. It was Jeremy who was in that band SML. Um, and then it was this kid we met who lived down the street from me, and his name was Steven. And um, it was Steven's cousin, his name was Clint, and it was actually just us four for a while. And we did a bunch of, we did a lot of punk covers as well, we covered a lot of Saves the Day. I remember we did Saves the Day songs, we did, I think we covered like a No Effects song, um, tons of NFG, like Newfound Glory. We discovered a lot of, a lot of songs. 
and we would uh, oh we 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 started covering this local band called Larger Than Life, and the singer of Larger Than Life had this sort of high pitched, I don't want to say squirrely kind of voice, but it was just very unique and high,、um, not necessarily like high in pitch, but just kind of like thin. And、um, our buddy Larry Solomon, he he kind of just kicked it all the time, and we would always jam in Stephen's garage, and he would just sit there, kind of watching us, and and almost be like a little roadie, and 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 just be like,、uh, hey, you guys need any help? Do you guys you guys want any food? You guys, you know, he would just always kind of be around, and we had been jamming, and and we were instrumental for、uh, a good amount of time. And then I think one day、um, we had two larger than life songs in in our catalog, if you will, and and we were just like, yeah, Larry, we I think you should I think you should sing, and he was like, what? But you never ask. <laughs> But he was super stoked. And the second the second we heard his voice, we all looked at each other and we were like, oh my god. So the singer's name of Larger Than Life was John Lowe. And we and we were like, oh my gosh! I think we found our John Lowe because his voice was so unique. I mean, Larry didn't have a、uh, um, a real musical background as well, but he wasn't tone deaf, <laughs> and he could hit the notes.、Um, so we were like, oh, we you know, we hit the jackpot with Larry, and、um, we we started taking it serious, and we did a bunch of larger than life songs. And we、uh, eventually did this this big San Diego battle of the bands at this place called Canes in Mission Beach,、um, and there was like 30 plus bands,、uh, older bands too, like bands that had been playing for a really long time. And we were these、oh, we were these kids, these freshmen in in high school, and we show up and we actually won. So we won some studio time, and eventually recorded our first EP. It's called The Courtesy of Stars. It was super. As emo, as emo as you could get,、um, screaming, and we had long hair, <laughs> and、um, and yeah, we we、uh, we just kept playing shows and started building、uh, a reputation around San Diego as that local band.、Uh, so we started playing this place called the Epicenter,、uh, opening up for some touring acts, and we would just all of a sudden start drawing、uh, hundreds of kids. And we were like, "How is this happening?" I don't know, but it would be a bunch of Asian kids,、uh, <laughs> upcoming Asian uh, emos <laughs> that would support us.、Um, but they would come to every single show and and throw down. I mean, like Epicenter had these rafters,、uh, these high rafters, and these kids would like straight up climb the rafters and like do flips off the rafters. <laughs> Um, but it was crazy, and we gained a lot of success around San Diego. Eventually, we changed our name to、uh, My American Heart, and yeah, My American Heart was、uh, a, f- a crazy little Paradise Hills success story.、Um, but I'll elaborate on that when I have another special guest in here, who will probably be in the next episode. But there's there's、uh, there's tons to talk about with with the band My American Heart、um, that I'm excited to share with you guys.、But、basically, My American Heart, we toured, we signed to a label, we did Warped Tour、um, for a few years.、Um, we recorded two studio albums, professional studio albums, and that's kind of how I、uh, got influenced、um, to to become a producer, and kind of what got me. Uh, yeah, into the idea of starting a studio myself, but、uh, yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot、uh, to talk about with the whole My American Heart era because that literally took ten years of my life and、um, was a huge was a huge part of of why I'm still doing music now and why I've learned so much.、Uh, but we'll talk about that later. Right now, I want to introduce my co-host. Uh, his name is Alan Ladan. He has been with me since the beginning, man. He's not really the beginning, beginning, but the beginning of my of my producer career, my production career. And he's seen the studio、uh, build from from the ground up. No pun. So 
we're gonna go ahead and discuss uh, everything from when we first met to his influences to uh, my first mic, my first recording setup, and um, yeah, hope you enjoy. Here's Alan Madan. Thanks, bro. Mic. I feel like I never hear you talk on a on a condenser mic because because Al's always playing keys. He never sings. I he, he I like to. being behind the keys. <laughs> But yeah, go ahead and uh, yeah, just your thoughts and uh, first your intro. Sure, sure. Um, okay, my name is Alan Ladan, and I am a huge fan of the JB Cave. I'm a huge fan of Jesse Barrera as a person first, and then as an artist, and then as a producer. And then I'm also a fan of My American Heart, which I found out through my sister because she waited in line um, in Best Buy. Yeah, no, she walked our dog five miles to Best Buy to pick up your album, your second album. Hiding Inside. Hiding Inside, yes. So and she found she... out about us after uh, the me makeup. Yeah. Okay. And it wasn't until I read the liner notes, maybe like a month after my sister was like blaring your shit. I was like, I was I was all about hip hop and and R&B, and um, you know what got me was fantasy. Fantasy. I'm oh. just I'm I'm a sucker for feel good music. That's crazy because that song is about mushrooms. Was it? Yeah, that song that song is about mushrooms. Um, but I that would be the last song that I would expect you to be a fan of. I would expect like maybe a a dangerous mm-hmm. or or something a little more uh, soulful, if you will. Now that's funny. I had I had I had mutual friends that were really into your band and were advertising like all the coming soon songs before before the before my sister pick up the record. But it it honestly it wasn't until I heard Fantasy that I was like, this is a really good song. Like the music parts, it's just it's really feel good. I had no idea that it was about mushrooms. I didn't even know <laughs> that the lyrics. Um, I didn't even know what the lyrics said. Sure. But um, when I started reading the liner notes and I read that the artists singing behind the, um, the mic were actually writing their own music, writing the lyrics, writing the music, that was inspirational to me. And it just gave me a whole newfound respect for your group. Yeah. And That's then awesome. That, and yeah, no. And then I, I became such a, I, I became such a huge fan. I had um, two of my of my close best friends growing up, and they were just huge fans of of your band. And I I just couldn't get it. It's like me in football. I don't I just don't connect. So you didn't get us at first. Yeah, I just I just. So you forced yourself to like My American Heart. You were like, ah, uh, they really like. They really like them, so you know. I, I don't want to say like I don't want to say like I forced myself because well, you were you were listening <clears throat> to, to D'Angelo and yeah, and what else? Were you, tons of like gospel music. I listened to um, I listened to a lot of um, like most Def. Yeah, I listened to a lot of Tribe Called Quest. Right. Um, I was a at that time <clears throat> when Hiding Sign came out. I was a huge fan of the Neptunes. Um, basically, anything that the Neptunes touched. Every keyboard, um, every chord progression, and every artist that they knew were, if they were in their network, they were in my, like, you know, my catalog of, like, songs to, like, to go through, to understand, and, and play. My goal was to become, eventually become the next Chad Hugo growing up in high school. Well, you're on your way. I was, you're you know what, you're right. You are so right. <laughs> Which uh, basically leads us to our first meeting. So let's go ahead and talk about our first meeting, which, oh, is, which is really funny because, yeah, I, I remember I was diving into solo music at this time. <laughs> See, I didn't know you that. Said, oh, gosh. <clears throat> oh, I yeah, didn't know I was, that. <clears throat> yeah, so I was basically starting my solo career, and uh, I remember I needed a keyboardist for a show. I was playing a show, I think, I think at my mom's place. Do you remember, do you remember what the, where the show was? It's like Ocean, Ocean Java. Java. My mom had a little coffee shop for a while. And I remember I was like, 
um, I asked my girl, uh, Gracie, I was like, do you know any, any keyboardists? And she was like, yeah, um, uh, my buddy, uh, Alan plays keys and he's been doing, <laughs> he's been doing some My American Heart covers. Oh gosh, I was. Like, I was. Oh, okay. And like, I mean, I had heard like a ton of, of Ma covers and I was like, wow, this is probably going to be another shitty <laughs> one, another shitty one. Um, but she showed me um i think it was a cover like dangerous or it was something yeah and oh my gosh you had bent the chords like so far left and i was like oh bro yeah this guy is this guy is crazy like i don't even think i'm worthy of playing with this guy oh my gosh so i'm like yeah i would love to play with this guy um i remember i hit up clint and I was like, can you play guitar for me? Clint, so Clint was uh, the guitarist of um, one of my first bands, No Way Out, who I talked about earlier. But I hit up Clint and I hit up Alan, and we had um, our first jam session yeah. at my dad's spot because my, my dad, my stepdad, and my mom had split up, and I actually lived with him for about a year or two. And I just remember, um, I don't know, like I, I envisioned you to be like this really just like, balled out like uh like pinoy dude because like, of what i heard you know i i had I, I had no idea what alan looked like mop top i hadn't no, yeah we'll get there well we'll get to the mop top um uh, we'll get there uh, but i just remember um just hearing his voice his voice and um because you sang you sang on it right you sang on the on the, on the dangerous cover right or was it just i had to i had to sing it because i i was like i i know i'm not a singer but i know i can i can hit the notes so that somebody else can right so i heard so i heard like these little demos and grace had showed me and i was like okay yeah i would love to meet up with alan and have him play at the show with me and uh so he, so he rolls up to my dad's apartment uh, and his little silver, I remember it clear, <laughs> like your hun, hun, Hyundai Elantra. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and he rolls out in this like super like dirty white V-neck, <laughs> and like this and like <laughs> and this and this mop top. And I'm just like, bruh, I had no idea you look like that. <laughs> <laughs> and and I mean, Alan, Alan, Alan these days, he's a he's GQ. He, Thank you. He's a he's a realtor. Thank you. We'll talk about that later. Talk about but that. But he's later. Uh, whenever he comes in for a for a session, he's suited and booted, <laughs> like full on tie, dress shoes, whatever. But this day, the first day we met, oh man, and I'm uh, dude, me, you know me, I get anxiety about first impressions. So like, <laughs> so anyways, uh, I meet him, and yeah, we just jam, we just jam. You set up, I remember just being a little nervous because I had never really played with the keyboardist because um, <laughs> My American Heart never had a, a, a key player. Uh, when we did Hiding Inside, um, we had James Wisner. He played all the keys on our record and we were mind blown by that. Yeah. But I was just kind of, growing up, I was never around <laughs> like solid, solid um, keyboardists or, or pianists. And so we start playing, and he starts. I think he. I think he whips out his keyboard and he starts playing all the Moss songs. Yeah. <laughs> he, he, he does. He, he's out here just like trying to showboat, like, hey, bro, yeah, hey, right. bro, let me show you these chords. Let yeah, me, let me show you these chords. <laughs> and then he goes into pro probably. He probably, probably started playing some D'Angelo or something. Yeah. Um, but basically, I'm mind blown from the get. Wow. Um, I'm mind blown from the get. I'm just like this kid is crazy. And uh, yeah, just that, that same feeling I got when, when we discovered Larry was like that same, almost that same feeling when I discovered you, bro. Wow. Wow. It's, it's like a superhero discovering like... It's uh, romance. Um, it's, it, it was love at first sight. It really was. It I was. remember, you know what? The best part about the first day meeting you was stepping outside for a smoke. Oh, and yeah, because oh, you used, were like... I, I used to smoke. You go... I've, I'm, I've, I've quit. I'm done. Yeah. I'm done with the nicotine sticks. But I've, you... Yeah, right. Good for you. Thanks. Um, Thanks, bro. And I remember you saying, where have you been all my life? I did. I said that. I, I will never forget that. And Amazing. Um, I remember your cousin and your sister came, and we just had a blast the rest of the night. And I, at the, I just got so comfortable. I did not care. My cousin whatever. and my sister came that night. Yeah. Ken and um, and your sister Jen. That's right. And we just had a blast, just hanging out. Just throwbacks. Just throwbacks. Yep. Good times. Yeah. Played all the '90s tracks. All the '90s tracks. Name a few. Name a few. Um, SWV, Week, 
That was a big one. Oh yes. Um, we we definitely went into like boys to men, um, and um, you know I learned a lot. I learned a lot just about like your family. And I learned a lot about you. Like I, I learned that like the first night was that all in the first. Day? This was all the first night. Like I stayed till like three p.m. Clint left like Insane. earlier in the evening. Insane. But uh, I just remember leaving at like three or four o'clock in in the evening, uh, in the morning, actually, and just hanging out with your cousin, hanging out with your sister, and hanging out with you. It was just, it was, it was like I found my my other half. If we were twins, crazy. If we were twins, that's yeah. really cute. Thank you, uh, <laughs> we kind of are twins in a, in in some sort of way. Not really. No, we're so different. We are so different, but we are so similar. Uh, like uh, I kid you not. Situation. Like in the studio, we are um, one. <laughs> we are one. We are one. Um, There's like a purple light between the two of us. Like we just know though, that that didn't work. You know, let's move on to the next to, to the next idea or the next take. You say there's a purple light. You're getting kind of spiritual there. Yeah. Uh, nice. Yes. Nice. All right. Let's move on. Mm-hmm. Let's move on. I want to talk about um, finally writing music with you. Um, and my first, I want to talk about my first recording setup because you were there when I had it. Okay. So I was super broke. I was coming off of uh, years of touring. Um, my American Heart was kind of like. Uh, I'd like to say I don't like to say this But uh, we were kind of falling apart A little bit um, So I was focusing more on what I could do As a solo artist um, Or just me in general In my life I was what? How old were we? 20? 20? Yeah 19, 20 19, 19 20. or 20 And um, yeah I just saved up As much money as I could To finally uh, buy a mic or something I could record on because me and Alan were we were staying up every single night oh gosh um, just jamming and doing YouTube videos of our ideas mm-hmm. and um, I remember we wrote a few songs but we had nothing to record them so I remember I think I remember saving up for a mic and I got this USB this USB like yep. Samson Samson G track uh, USB mic and I had this t- super cheap Toshiba laptop and I, I got Sonar, this program Sonar, uh, which is like a super cheap uh, recording program. But I, I, got, I got it because Clint used it. And we used to do demos at Clint's place because we, we did our first, um, my first little EP at Clint's place. We did the Over the Moon EP, um, which was, yeah, that was the very first one. Yeah. And then we did the one with the three songs, The Feeling. and Basically, I was starting to record music. I did two demos with Clint, mm-hmm. but I was like, uh, I kind of want to like learn how to do it myself. So I got this USB Samson thing, and we started doing demos ourselves. I remember, and one of the first demos we did, I think, was Sweet Time. Oh wow! I yeah. think the Sweet Time. Uh, um, do you remember the reference track for that song? I don't. It was Nora Jones. Nora Jones. Wow, crazy. Yeah, crazy. We did Sweet Time. Um, I, I remember Alan was writing some original stuff. He, we did this song called Holy Hottie. Oh, wow. Uh, that I, want, I would love to play. Uh, it'll probably be in the back. But we did Holy Hottie. We did another song called Run and Tell. That was amazing. Wow. Uh, some deep Alan LeDan cuts. Uh, yeah. but, but we would only record uh, like acoustic, like acoustic guitar and vocal because, I mean, it was one mic. It was just one mic and it had like this little input. Like an eighth-inch input, mm-hmm. where you would plug in like a like a keyboard. It was super ghetto, but it was it's basically how we started. It was ghetto, but it worked. And at the time, it was just I can't I couldn't believe that we were doing it. Um, just taking something that was just so personal to me and putting it out there. Sure. Yeah. Sure. And what's crazy, and and a lot of people actually don't know this, but one of the one of the biggest songs that I ever wrote was actually recorded on that Samson USB mic and that was She Was Mine not a lot of people know that but that that song the first ever yeah. demo that got that went viral yeah. um, was actually She Was Mine um, when I met AJ that same year I think yeah. or maybe the next year mm-hmm. but uh, yeah lots of lots of magical things happened on that mic I think we did a few My American Heart demos on that mic um, near the end of of, of Ma and then eventually, uh, eventually, I moved back uh, with my mom after after a while, and I wanted to upgrade. 
and I was still poor, still super poor. I didn't have a job. I, 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 I was playing shows to make ends meet. Right. I would do college shows. Sure. Uh, I would do coffee shops and make a hundred bucks here and there. Um, but still super, super poor, super poor. I, re- I remember, I mean, we drank a lot too. Sure. We don't want to talk about that. Yeah. Um, but a lot we of would, Livingston. We, but a lot, a lot of Livingston. A lot yeah. of, uh, yeah, a lot of Livingston. A lot of, a lot of Carlo Rossi. Yeah. A lot of Carlo Rossi. Um, <laughs> but I remember uh, my girl Grace. She, she actually bought me my first Pro Tools setup because I remember. Did I, she really? I remember telling her like Pro Tools is like the gold standard of recording. Like I need. I need a serious setup if I want to have if I want to take this production thing serious. So she she was working at Nordstrom. She was making good money. She, at the time, she was my sugar mama. Yeah. And then, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, but she was super sweet, and I think it was either, either Christmas or my birthday, or no something. No way. Yeah. She she Are went you she went ahead and she she went on uh, probably like musiciansfriend.com, and she got me one of those starter packs. Again, the starter packs are the story of my life the starter pack base the starter pack pro tool setup but the starter pack had like the mic it had the m box it had the pro tool software wow and yeah <laughs> your face is amazing right now but yeah you didn't know that no no yeah so she bought so she bought she buys me that that pro tool setup and at that point in time i'm like i'm ready to make a record yeah. i have no idea how to use pro tools but I'm gonna make a record, and that became Love in Technicolor. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. So, way, so, dude. so right. So literally, as soon as I get Pro Tools, I'm like, let's make a full length record. I don't care how I do it. I don't care how much money I have. I don't care how how little knowledge I have of this software. Yeah. I'm gonna make this record on Pro Tools. And I remember the first song. I try to record, or did record, was someday, was someday. I don't want to oh, talk about gosh, just, just, yeah, just recording dude. for the first time. And I, I just remember like recording the guitar, and like you, you know, like just copy, copy and paste, like you know, like duplicating a part. Yeah. I just remember like duplicating one of the guitar parts and like getting this like gnarly pop, like because I didn't know how to crossfade. <laughs> like, I didn't know what the fuck a crossfade was. Like, I was literally learning how to crossfade. Can you, okay, for, for the people that don't understand what a crossfade is, can you explain what a crossfade is? Because so, honestly, <laughs> I'm going through my mind like, wait, what is a crossfade? Alan has been in the studio for fucking 10 years and still doesn't know what a crossfade is. It's basically when you're blending two audio files together and making it seamless. Basically, you know what I'm saying? So like, if if, if I, mm. I was singing like the, like the A part of a verse, and you know, I, I, I fucked up one of the words yeah. and I wanted to just punch. So I take two of the takes and then there's this, thing, this tool on Pro Tools called Crossfade. Uh-huh. And basically it blends the two audio tracks to make it feel seamless. Ah, it's also the magic. Called, it's also called cheating. It's also called magic. It's also called magic. Um, but yeah, Someday. Uh, Someday was the first track I, I started recording. Eventually, I learned the basics, and then Alan Alan came through and recorded some great, some great things, and and helped me write some iconic riffs, like uh, the opening riff of my song "Tangled Up." Alan wrote. Well, you know what I will say though is that it was, you know, I won't take all the credit because I Why? know that I was, I was always, especially around that time during like Love and Technicolor. I felt like every song was so important. I felt like every moment of the record was so important. And just creating this beast was um, was like my calling. And so when, when, when we came into the studio, I'd always come with so much extra right just like and you'd always trim it down you always be like hey let's like let's 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 do this let's take that out can you just not do that let's just not do that you know what i mean have a little less suck please so i learned i learned how to play my role as as a musician and as like as a team member i mean there's just so much about life that i've just learned just like working with you just from that record and um you know i had to you know it's yeah, it's a little bit of an ego trip because you're you're like, no, I wrote this part. Like, I know this is amazing because I felt it. Sure. But like when you, you know, 
when you look on the grand scale, like how this how this works with the record, um, you know, it's got you know there's some good stuff in there, and there's some stuff that's like you gotta you gotta you gotta pull out, um, and some stuff that you just gotta cut. So, um, yeah, um, yeah. Let's yeah. talk. Let's talk about creating one. Do you, do you do you have any memories of of uh, just any of the riffs? Any I remember. I, I do remember. Um, at the time uh, I was learning Pro Tools, I was also learning how to use this program called Reason uh, at the time. Remember Reason? I remember Reason. That's basically where we got all our sounds yeah. uh, that were digital. So any MIDI uh, any MIDI information like uh, MIDI piano or MIDI drums, uh, it was coming from Reason. So that's that, So the, all the drums on that record are super fake. Uh, <laughs> but I learned. That's how I learned how to, you know, quantize yeah and how i learned how to navigate through midi Mm -hmm. you know and reason had great sounds and they still have great sounds and i know a bunch of great producers that are still using reason to this day um so shout out to all the reason producers out there um you guys are awesome uh maybe one of these days I'll, i'll dive back in and explore it again okay 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 yeah no, because I, I say that because I feel like you were just showing us a different way how to use those tools. Sure, I remember. I remember like always like because uh, because on Reason on on a uh, on the Reason software, there's this tab where you hit the tab and you actually see the back of this thing called the rack, and it's basically like uh, it just it's like fake, but it shows all the cables in the back being plugged into oh, yeah. to these uh, these animated um, hardware pieces. I'd be all, I'd, I was always so amused by and that. And whenever I would bring up like the wires, Alan would just be like, wow, look at all, <laughs> look at all the wires. They're so cool. We're just looking at a, at a computer screen and all the wires are like moving. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Exactly. <laughs> so, okay. So there's, there's still plenty more to talk about. Cool. Uh, one of them being uh, our last project at Cave 1.0. Cave 1.0 being my mom's place. Uh, that's where we did a ton of uh, awesome records. We did uh, AJ's Red Roses at mm-hmm. at Cave 1.0. We also yeah. did Jeremy's For More Than a Feeling uh, LP. Yeah, our uh, record. The, the, the pixelated EP. Uh, two of my faves. And then the last, yeah, the last record we did at Cave 1.0 was Daniela Andrade's Things We've Said. Yeah, it's a special place. It's a special, special place. Special place. Daniela is a singer-songwriter from, originally from Edmonton, but she lives in, I want to say, Montreal or Toronto. One of those two spots. Sure. But she is definitely one of the best singers I've ever um, recorded. But that was the last, that was the last record I did at the cave because once again you know family's gonna be fam and some people just don't get along so we packed we packed studio we packed everything everything i had and we went to my buddy michael carrion's place and we ended up cutting a record um at his mom's at his mom's house yeah and i remember uh it was this kid brian believe and i remember cutting drums in his niece's toy room wow like literally setting up like a full-on drum set full-on mic setup and there was just like toys everywhere of course you did it was it was definitely an interesting time gotta get it done but i was there for two weeks doing a record michael was nice enough to let me stay and cut a record there thank you michael literally bring all of my gear to his place uh crazy yeah crazy stuff but eventually um we found a spot which eventually became cave 2.0 which is where we're doing this podcast right now the most amazing place in the world uh it's it was definitely uh definitely a monumental uh move for us uh it's the perfect spot in san diego to make records it's 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 cozy yeah i'd like to say it's cozy yeah um but we moved everything from michael's and we we uh, we parked it here yeah. And we've been here for about six years now, almost. Really? Which is crazy. Time flies, my friend. Time flies. Wow. So we're going on six years here at the cave, at Cave 2.0. We're, we're, uh, we're kind of in the talks of, of migrating up north. Um, That's exciting. In the next few months. It's great news. Uh, we'll be talking about that in the, in the upcoming episodes, for sure. But 
Let's talk about some of your faves, Al. Sure. Let's off off the top of your head name some of the, your favorite uh, your favorite Cave 2.0 moments. Well, uh, Tanyel Andrade, um, that's, Tim Atlas. That, that's 1.0. Tim Atlas. Tim Atlas. Um, Oliver who, Trolley. Who will be on uh, an episode of Cave Talks very soon. Woohoo! Um, Oliver Trolley was a, a really fun record to do. Um, everything Melissa Polinar. Everything Melissa Polinar. And um, the Jessica Dominguez records. Oh, were Domingo. Also, Jessica Domingo. I'm sorry. Sorry, Jess. Jessica Domingo records were, all, were always so fun. Um a lot of respect for her. I have so much belief in all the artists that Jesse decides to to, to record with, and I, and I always know that they're handpicked, um, and they're always brought to the studio for a reason because they have something really special. So if I left any of you guys out and I've been on your record, I'm so sorry. <laughs> and that's a lot of people. There's a lot of people, but um, uh, yeah, you guys are. We love you. Yeah, we love you so much. So let's go ahead and talk about like uh, the creative process um, when Alan comes in. I'd love to get, oh, I'd lo- I would love to get your input or just uh, your point of view of how you feel the second you walk through the door to the second the record is done or the second you get that first mix back. Yeah. So um, you know when I first hear the artist's song or when I walk into the studio and I listen to the song, I think. Do I even need to be a part of this record? You know, is is there is there enough that has been said? Is there enough that has been like expressed in the song? And if there's a void that I can fill, then I'll step in. And it'll usually be like keys or be like organs. And Jesse will be right in tune with me to be right there and say like, yeah, I know exactly what you're trying to do um, because we're like that. Got that purple light. Nice. So, uh, basically, I just want to talk and elaborate more on uh, just the Cave Talks podcast and what we'll be covering in the next few episodes. Um, so, I literally just showed Alan the first twenty minutes of this episode, and uh, yeah, and I was literally he in had no tears. idea. He, he, well, he had no idea I'm what we were tears getting watching this. I mean, listen to this. <laughs> yeah, I love how you just get make your voice super deep. I was literally in tears watching. I'm, I'm sorry. I was literally in tears listening to this. Um, but basically, I mean, I asked Alan to to uh, to hop on and, and co-host this thing with me, uh, and he and he kind of came in blind, not knowing what this whole thing was going to be about, because uh, we've never done anything like this in the last eight years. Um, but we were just talking off mic about it. But I kind of had been. Um, just super terrified of talking about me. I, I, I totally hate talking about myself ever and my accolades and the things I've done. Um, but I'm not seeing Cave Talks as something like that. So at the top of the year, I was like, uh, this year is definitely going to be a year of, of, of leaps. And I'm 30 now. And I just thought it was like it was time to just, you know, discover new things about myself and and find out things that um just find out things about myself and learn more about myself and that this is where i'm at right now and i feel like this is the start of a new journey that i'm super stoked on i'm stoked on um diving even deeper into your story into the stories of our artists that we've collabed with and yeah i just want to i just want to make this a, f- a super fun thing that we could we could do every every single week and i'm just stoked man um off my we were talking about what were we talking about we were talking about um i don't know <laughs> i think alan's i think alan's getting super emotional i think i think uh i really feel like the first 20 minutes <laughs> It's a little bit of tequila and a little bit of emotion <laughs> just combined to together just to create Which like this honesty. Which is blend of things. Tequila, by the way, the new Dan and Shay song. Um, I'm not. This is not. <laughs> this is not a sponsored post, but it is a premium single. You guys should check it out. My boy Dustin, who played in My American Heart, is playing uh, with bass. the most beautiful hair. With the most beautiful hair, is playing bass for Dan and Shay. So uh, make sure to check that out. Um, 
but any any uh, any last thoughts on, on on cave talks and and where we're going uh, with this thing? No, I'm actually very excited to hear all the the artists and hear, hear what they have to say. I'm super excited. I'm super proud of what the cave has achieved in the last eight years. Um, we literally went from a PC laptop in a garage. No, no, no hate on PCs though. PCs are great. <laughs> no, there's no hate on PCs. But we literally went from a laptop to a full-on studio with a hotel. Um, <laughs> it is, it is nice. honestly the the most. It's the best place, the absolute best place to create and to be yourself and to find who you are as an artist and to work with like the best. And I'm not saying to myself, I just know that I'm a, such a, a fan and, and have such passion for music and for making sure that people succeed and, and, and get what they want. Jesse is the, is the type of person that will take what it is that you've thought of for your entire life and make it happen in one day, in two weeks and create something that is your EP, your LP. Make something that can you can put out there and sell and put yourself out there. It's, it's, it's really awesome. Ready to go. Thanks, bro. <laughs> so that that'll be uh, the the end of episode one of Cave Talks, and that'll pretty much be the format of the episodes to come. Um, I want to thank you guys for listening. Thanks for uh, just paying attention. Yeah, Cause that yeah, because that was a long, that was a long talk. But uh, we have some exciting guests coming up this season. We sure do. We'll talk soon on Cave Talks. Right